Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. You are listening to On the Environment, a podcast series from the Yale Center for Environmental Law and Policy. For more information, visit the website at envirocenter.yale.edu. Hello, my name is Amy Mount and I'm a dual degree master's candidate at the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies and the Jackson Institute for Global Affairs. I'm in the studio today for the second part of an interview with Fran Ulmer. Ms. Ulmer has served as chair of the US Arctic Research Commission since 2011, and she was a member of the National Commission on the BP Deepwater Horizon Oil Spill and Offshore Drilling, appointed by President Obama. She is a distinguished academic and was Chancellor of the University of Alaska Anchorage from 2007 to 2011. Besides her academic work, Ms. Ulmer has had a long political career, serving as Mayor of Juneau, a state representative, and as Lieutenant Governor of Alaska. Ms. Ulmer, thank you again for joining us today. It's my pleasure. So we're going to move on to the topic of offshore drilling. I spent some time in Alaska this summer researching how decisions are made about uh, this topic in the Arctic Ocean. And it's clearly quite contentious within the state, with a lot of people holding opposing views about whether or not drilling should go ahead. Could you speak a bit about why that is? Alaska has been an oil-producing state for 40 years, and it is a very important part of the Alaska economy from the standpoint of jobs and also from the standpoint of revenue in supporting the public sector. So our schools and our roads and all kinds of things are paid for by oil revenues. That means that in Alaska, it's an industry that, generally speaking, people not only support, might work for, might get benefits from, but also very much afraid that it's going to go away because Prudhoe Bay, which is the principal oil field, as a matter of fact, it's the largest oil field ever discovered in North America, uh, is in decline. Uh, So when it comes to developing future oil fields, people are generally inclined to say yes, except they're very worried about two things. Number one, because it is in the Arctic Ocean, out in the Chukchi and the Beaufort Sea, way beyond the way in which oil development has previously taken place on land, on shore, people are very worried about the potential environmental impact if there is a spill or if the way in which the development takes place impacts the way in which whales and walrus and polar bears and other species that are unique to that region might be bothered by the noise or by anything else. So people are worried about that. And secondly, they are worried that they aren't going to actually see any revenue benefits to the state of Alaska because that oil development would take place far enough offshore in federal waters that there would be no sharing of that revenue would go straight to the federal treasury. So that's why there's sort of a mixed feeling. There's a feeling of we like the oil industry, we like the revenues and the jobs, but this proposed development might not give us the revenues and maybe not as many jobs. And oh, by the way, there's a bigger risk associated with it because it's happening so far offshore, which will require a very different kind of technology given the ice and given the punishing conditions of the Arctic Ocean. How you feel about that on that spectrum of concern is in part 
a function of how close are you? That is, do you live on the North Slope? Do you rely on those species as part of your subsistence uh, hunting and fishing? Or do you live far and far away? Are you part of the oil industry or not? Um, how well do you assess the risk associated with it and the benefits? So it's a kind of a function of uh, cost, benefits, and risk. That's what people kind of divide along those three big metrics. How risky is it? Who's going to get the benefit? And for whom will the cost have to be paid if something goes wrong? So it sounds like there's a few questions that we as, as sort of unanswered at, at, at the moment. Would you agree about the, the degree of risk that offshore drilling for oil and gas involves? And how do you think decision makers can move forward with that uncertainty hanging over them? Well, we've done a lot of offshore drilling in places like the Gulf of Mexico, or for that matter, the Norwegian Sea, um, the North Sea, uh, places where you're either in very, very, very deep water, and we certainly have seen that in the Gulf of Mexico, and we've seen the oil industry evolve technology to meet those challenges generally. <laughs> and we've also seen in places where there isn't as much ice, admittedly, that's a very different piece of this equation. In the North Sea and in the Norwegian Sea, very cold, very harsh storms, very difficult conditions, but not the kind of ice that you see in the Chukchi or the Beaufort. So how do you assess risk in that context? We know that the industry, as a general rule, has really uh, done a pretty remarkable job in evolving technology to meet new conditions. And that's a credit to them. It's also a credit to the governments in all around the world in trying to work with industry to reduce the risk. But having said that, you never reduce the risk completely. There is always the risk of an accident. And the extent to which in an area that has new conditions, like the ice of the Chukchi and the Beaufort, um, it is a question mark. I don't think you can put a period on the end of the sentence. It's a question mark on the end of the sentence about how big is that risk and what is it that the industry can do to reduce it as much as possible. So your evaluation of the extent to which the industry is ready, the extent to which government and the regulatory agencies are doing their best job to reduce that risk, um, is evolving even as we speak. And there are a lot of discussions right now about international standards for Arctic drilling. The Arctic Council has worked on this question. Uh, some of the more progressive oil companies have put on the table this suggestion that, you know, if you had high standards, you would reduce risk. If you have high standards internationally accepted, perhaps not as a mandatory standard, but as a voluntary standard, but at least sort of put out there, what would the industry and government have to do together to reduce the risk as much as possible? And I think these discussions about international standards really have the potential to increase the comfort level, if nothing else, the comfort level that people have about drilling in the Arctic. Some of the most vocal opponents to the idea of, of drilling for oil in the Arctic have been environmental organizations, not just because of the risk of a spill, 
But they like to argue that it, it is ironic that in the region experiencing the greatest rates of climate change, as we discussed earlier, we, we have fossil fuel companies jostling to extract more hydrocarbons, which will create further climate change. Do you see a tension there? And, and if so, can that tension be resolved? And, and how? I mean, is there a risk that current attitudes towards the Arctic see it as a place for short-term gain, perhaps at the expense of longer-term sustainability? Well, yes, there is no doubt that the industry as a whole is interested in developing oil and gas where it is. <laughs> you, they go where where the resource is, right? And the USGS has estimated that something in the neighborhood of 30% of the remaining natural gas is in the Arctic, and 15 to 17% of the remaining oil is in the Arctic. So it is on everybody's radar, Russia, Norway, Greenland, Canada, not just the United States. Um, the international industry is interested in the Arctic because of the projections that there's a lot of oil there. Having said that, even if it isn't there, if it's someplace else, let's remember that oil development is a function of demand, not supply. So it doesn't, in a sense, really matter where it is, as long as people who are driving cars in Los Angeles want to fill up their tank, there will be an incentive for the industry to go find it wherever it is. It's not really the people of the Arctic deciding that they want to put their oil on the market. It's the people of Los Angeles deciding that they want to buy gasoline for their cars, right? So if you want to reduce consumption, you really have to look at the demand side of the equation, not the supply side of the equation. That's not to say that you can't take some areas off the market. You can, but it will still call, come from someplace else, right? So there are some regions in Alaska that are so special, that are so important from the standpoint of ecological value, from the standpoint of wilderness, from the standpoint of habitat for certain iconic species or fisheries that perhaps should be taken off the table. And that would be done, in my opinion, because of an analysis of the science. So let's just take Bristol Bay as an example. Bristol Bay is an extremely productive fishery. Half of the world's wild sockeye salmon in the world, maybe more than half, come from just one area in Bristol Bay. Um, and yet there have been proposals for offshore oil and gas drilling in Bristol Bay. I think you can make a case that there are places like Bristol Bay that should simply be off limits because of the higher values associated with their productivity for fisheries, for indigenous people subsistence, for wilderness values, for whatever it is that society through Congress says is really important enough to put this area off, the, off limits. But that's different than the question you ask, which is, is there some sort of weird inconsistency about it coming from the region where the climate change seems to be most pronounced? I think those are two different things. It is unquestionably true that the Arctic has warmed more than any other region on the planet. But that's not because there's oil there. <laughs> it's because oil from elsewhere has been consumed and coal and other things that produce 
the greenhouse gases that have contributed to the warming of the climate. But it's not the people of the Arctic, or for that matter, the resources of the Arctic that get us to where we are today. I do think it's important for societies to look at areas and say some areas are too special to be developed and some areas are too fragile to be developed. But unfortunately, as long as we still have cars and still need gasoline to run those cars, there will be more oil development. It's just a matter of where it comes from. Mm. You're reminding me when you're talking about the Bristol Bay salmon of how delicious the Alaskan salmon was. That was definitely a highlight of my trip. Um, Indeed. <laughs> I, I feel like I have to follow up your response to that question just to ask about the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge because this has long been a, a subject of contention as well within Alaska and is is another source of perhaps oil and gas. Do you think... Do you think... Um, it's, it's possible to weigh up whether drilling should happen there compared to offshore, whereas you said the risks are very different. It's an interesting question that was actually raised at the last meeting I attended in Barrow, Alaska, which is the northernmost community in Alaska, way up on the North Slope, um, because the people who were speaking to the U.S. Arctic Research Commission that I chair, and we were having a meeting there, made it quite clear that they were more willing to see development on land in the Arctic Wildlife Refuge than they were willing to see development in the Chukchi or the Beaufort because of the risk and because of the impact on whales, which they very much want to protect. Um, And I think the reality is it comes down to who is in charge of which space and what it is you're trying to protect, right? And also how much oil is there and how much demand is there from industry to develop it. Those things are very hard to balance off. If you live in Barrow, Alaska, and you're very dependent upon whaling and are very concerned about the space that those whales inhabit and they can't go someplace else or they won't go someplace else, or if they do go someplace else, they will be far, far away from wherever that activity is. Uh, For them, the decision is pretty easy. For people who live in the lower 48, who for many, many years have been told that the wildlife refuge is so special and so much more important than other areas that it should be protected at all costs, they may know very, very little about the Chukchi or the Beaufort. And so their orientation and what they tell their U.S. senator who has to vote on this question may be protect the Arctic Wildlife Refuge as opposed to protecting the Chukchi or the Beaufort because they haven't been educated about what the trade-offs and values are. So I think the answer to your question is it depends upon where you live. (laughs) It depends upon where you sit. It depends upon how much you know about the region. And it also depends upon the level of risk that you're willing to tolerate. There's no doubt that you could have an easier and safer development of oil on land than offshore. But that may not be the only thing that you want to take into consideration. Because in the Arctic Wildlife Refuge, you have polar bear denning. You have caribou migration. You know, you have a lot of waterfall nesting. You have a lot of other values that come to play, not to mention wilderness, not to mention the sense that some part 
of the coastal area along the the Beaufort should be protected when so much of the northern part of Alaska is in development. So there are many values that you can trade off. The Arctic Research Commission doesn't take positions on things like that. What we do primarily is make sure that the extent to which there is science and information available, it can help feed the decision makers, whether they're in the private sector or the public sector, enable them to make better choices based on scientific information. And um, the choices get made by, by Congress in the case of how the wildlife refuge will be utilized. Congress, the President, and the Department of Interior. And before we wrap up this second part of the interview, I'm interested to hear about your experience of sitting on the National Commission on the BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Did you find that to be a challenging process? And did did the experience lead you to question any of your previously held views on offshore drilling at all? It was very challenging because the president gave us exactly six months to produce our recommendations. And so we had to pull together the staff, uh, had to uh, analyze what had gone wrong, had to evolve in our own minds the most important decisions to focus for federal agencies, for Congress, and for the industry, and then write a report and do all of that in six months, which was incredibly difficult. But I am very proud of the fact that we finished on time under budget and with a unanimous decision, which is a pretty rare thing for a presidential commission, actually. And the report has stood the test of time in terms of the recommendations that we have made with other reports done by other commissions that looked at that whole disaster coming in with very similar recommendations to ours. In terms of what I learned, I learned a lot. I mean, I knew a fair amount about the oil industry just having lived in Alaska for 40 years, but I learned a lot more about the regulatory process, about the importance of the interaction between both the government agencies doing the regulating and the industry that is evolving technology constantly. I learned a lot more about the importance of managing risk and the safety culture of an industry and the extent to which different companies have very different approaches to how they manage risk and how they develop the attitude of safety first as opposed to, for example, profits first. There's a wide range of approaches to that in industry. We had the opportunity both off the record and on the record to get deep insight into that. And so, yes, I learned a lot. And it certainly um, enabled me as a person who not only lives in Alaska but works on Arctic region issues throughout the Arctic with a lot of other nations to really focus on the importance of mutual trust and respect between government and the private sector. There are some countries, and I'll just use Norway as an example, that have done an excellent job of encouraging an attitude of we are actually working on reducing risk together. It's not uh, us versus them. It's we're all in this together approach. And I think that all of the regions of the Arctic Uh, have done well in some ways and not so well in other ways of approaching the regulation of the oil industry in a way that really benefits both local people, the environment, and the industry itself. Uh, I learned a lot about that by serving on the Deepwater Horizon Oil Spill Commission, and I hope I'm bringing some of what I learned to the Arctic region. 
Well, it has been wonderful speaking with you today, Ms. Ulmer. Thank you again for coming here and spending some of your time talking about these it's issues. It's my pleasure, and I encourage people who are interested in these issues to go to arctic.gov. Arctic.gov is the website for the U.S. Arctic Research Commission, and you will have access there to not only research reports, but also something called the Daily Arctic Update, which will give you information about things that are going on in the Arctic, science, policy, government, and private sector. So for those of you who are intrigued by the Arctic as a region, go to arctic.gov. I will certainly check that out. Thank you again.